0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, the community coming home to Jesus and his church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. If I've never met you before, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church. Uh, It's such a joy to have you all here this morning. I don't think the ice was as bad as they all said it was going to be. Maybe? No? We're all here. That's all that matters. Uh, Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know that your ears are open to us. We know that you hear us, Lord. But we do not always hear you. And Lord, we pray for the miracle of hearing this morning. We pray for the miracle of conviction. We trust you for it. Dig us out ears, Lord that your word would sink into our heart. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, amen. Um, Several years ago, I was watching a drama that was about a guy who uh, had checked into the hospital because of a really traumatic experience. So physical, mental, and the movie's about him getting out of the hospital and kind of trying to get back into his life. And everything is just so messy. So his relationships with his family and his friends and his girlfriend, they're all just so strained. There was so much pain in in everything. And in this climactic scene where he's collapsed, in this moment of self-reflection, he says, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. And you don't really like this guy, the whole movie, (laughs) but then you're filled with compassion for this man who's realizing his own woundedness and he's realizing that he's hurting other people. I don't know if you've heard that pithy phrase before. I think that's kind of like a old little anecdote maybe. But it's saying that people wound others out of place of their own wounding. Hurt people hurt people. And it's also saying that we are a product of what is done to us. What's done to us, we pass on. So pain and brokenness are cyclical. There's a cause and effect to all of our lives. And if you've never heard that pithy phrase before, I bet you get it, right? What is it, Newman's third law? Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. That's Newton. Newman, what did I say? I'm not a physicist, okay? I studied theology and music. Is <laughs> it <an> N? <laughs> Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. It's true for relationships as well. Um, Hurt people hurt people. We are victims of this cycle. We are perpetuators of this cycle. And this is true for us at every level of our life. So it's certainly true, most felt, in our families. It's also true in our culture. Our public discourse, which is full of vitriol and nastiness, is a cycle of words being slung at one another, right? One of the examples where this became really clear to me was when I, I watched Ken Burns' documentary on Vietnam. Did anybody get a chance to see that? It came out last year. I, I kind of had inherited ways of thinking about Vietnam and who was wrong and who was right and communism versus capitalism or whatever. But when you barely scratch the surface of Vietnam, you start to see that the story goes back so far. Both sides of that conflict, the North Vietnamese and the South, everybody involved in it had suffered such deep, national historic pain. And bloodshed brought bloodshed. And when I was watching, I, was, I remember thinking, I wonder how far you would have to go back in the cycle of brokenness to uncover what was the cause. And I realized, I don't think you could. I think you could just, you would just keep going The other thing that's sad is I listened also this year to a memoir from a Vietnam War vet who uh, stepped on a booby trap and was deeply disabled, went on to struggle with alcoholism and eventually took his own life. It's a deeply tragic story, and it fractured his family, his children, his wife. So the, the tragedy of that went forward. It goes backwards and it goes forwards. The teaching of the Bible is super clear on this and it acknowledges that this is a reality for all of us. So it teaches us that all human history has been in a cycle of pain and brokenness, of hurt people hurting people, and it cannot be escaped. And it teaches us that the root, if you actually get back to it and follow the cycle back, it's sin. The first cause of all the effects is sin. So you see the first domino fall with Adam and Eve in the garden. You see the effects of that when Cain their son, rises up to kill his brother Abel out of jealousy, and then it just starts spiraling. The cycle just starts picking up speed, and if you read the Bible or history, you just see it develop and develop and develop and develop. Ever since, we've been trying to figure out how to prevent war. We can't do it. Ever since, in our families, we're trying to figure out how to grow up in a family unscathed. Nobody's figured that out, as far as I'm aware. Hurt people still hurt people. We are victims of this cycle, and we are perpetuators of it. That's a super bleak intro. (laughs) Welcome to Christ Church. Um, But it is in that context, and you have to reckon with the seriousness of that in our culture and in our personal life, that the gospel is such good news. It's so sweet. The gospel is that God loved us so much, he did something to break the cycle. He actually did something. The great, audacious, mesmerizing claim of Christianity is that the entire cycle of brokenness and pain steamrolled and barrel rolled throughout history until it landed completely into Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine all that cyclical pain throughout history like a magnetic runaway train. It's going downhill, it's picking up speed, and it's just picking up more and more stuff. It's causing more and more destruction, picking up more speed. I want you to imagine on Good Friday that Jesus, because he loved us so much, steps in front of it to stop it. All that spiraling human brokenness and misery, he just steps right in front of it, and he lets it smash into him when you see a crucifix, when you see a picture of Jesus or a painting, there's a couple beautiful ones at the Chazen Museum in town of Jesus suffering, you're looking at a man who is letting all of that hit him. And it overwhelmed him. And on Good Friday, it killed him and it drove him deep, deep, deep down into the, the darkness of death. On Holy Saturday, which is the day after Good Friday, I want you to imagine all the dust settling, like after a superhero movie crash and you know, everything's like, Kind of settling after all the skyscrapers are blown away. And I want you to imagine D- Jesus is dead in the depths of hell and he's pinned down under all that cycle of human misery. After every awful effect of every awful cause, he's pinned down under it. And at that point, what Jesus did was the most heroic thing in the world, but it was still a tragedy, right? Because evil had won. The cycle had still won. But On the third day, the morning came. Amen? Amen. Morning came. And I want you to imagine that on Easter morning, as all the dust is settling, first there's a a tremble, then there's a slight movement, and all of a sudden Jesus bursts up from under it. And he pushes back the entire cycle of human history backwards. So i want you to imagine that the resurrection is jesus literally with all of the strength of god pushing back against everything and starting a new cycle so he not only stopped the old one he starts a new one it's interesting the new testament talks about jesus like the new adam so in a way adam and eve are like this first domino in their sin that starts this cycle and the gospels and the new testament teach us that jesus is like a new adam so he's the first cause of a new effect he starts he kicks over a different domino that starts spiraling and building but instead of pain and brokenness it's love and life and truth and goodness Jesus is the first cause of new effects that's the gospel it's good news isn't it good news it's good to hear it now the new cycle this new world that Jesus starts is the kingdom of God it's set apart from this cycle of pain and brokenness that we all live in. And the church, God's people, are the people who live in that new effect of the new cause. They are the people who live in a new cycle that's separate. So we're meant to not live reacting to and transmitting the pain we've inherited in the world. But the church lives reacting to and transmitting the love of Jesus. We are loved people, loving people. And that brings us all the way to Luke 6, to all these passages we read this morning. Because this Luke 6, this teaching, uh, which Jonathan read, is Jesus' teaching on what it looks like to live in that world. What does it look like to relate to other people when you are living in the wake of the cross and the resurrection? It's a teaching of participating in and perpetuating the cycle of the kingdom of God. It's passing on the love of Jesus, okay? This passage is really famous. Of all Jesus' words, if you're new to the Bible, this might be one that you've actually heard before. Love your enemies. This is a big Christian ethic. Um, but none of us have plunged its depths. It is super deep. So in order to just wrap our minds around it, I want to do three things this morning. One, we're going to talk about the heart of this teaching. We're going to talk about the roots of the teaching. And then we're going to talk about the charge of the teaching. Still, there's always three things. <laughs> so the heart of the teaching, the roots of the teaching, and the charge of the teaching. Would you turn there with me? Page nine, eight, what is it? Page nine. Um, I'm going to read a big chunk, chunk of this as we talk about the heart. What, what's at the essence of what Jesus is getting at to this new ethic, this new way of living? I'm going to read uh, verse 27 and read a good portion of it. Everybody there? But I say to you who hear, and by the way, this comes right after the blessings and woes. Uh, If you were here last week, we talked about, we read Jesus in, in Luke 6, pronouncing blessings and woes. This comes right off of that. He says in verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. even as your Father is merciful. Okay, so the heart of the teaching. To just start, I think these are very understandable words, and I think Jesus means what he says. (laughs) So you know what I think Jesus means when he says to love your enemies? Love your enemies. (laughs) I think it's pretty simple. I think we can nuance and politicize this to death, and it probably shouldn't be. It's pretty clear what he's saying, but here's how I would summarize it to get at the heart of it. We're to act and react in love to all regardless of how they act and react to us. I think that's at the heart of it. There's a lot of different ways he applies it. He uses a lot of different analogies, but he's saying you are, as a participant in the life of Jesus, to act and react to all in love regardless of how they act and react to us. So Jesus says in there, you probably heard him, the old way, the old cycle was to love those who loved you. You kind of responded in kind, right? You were good to those who were good to you. You carved out time in your calendar for those you liked and who could enrich you in some way. You helped out people who you knew could repay you the same amount. And Jesus is saying, everybody does that. What good does that do? The new way, Jesus says, is to love all, even your enemies even those who curse you and hate you, even your prickly neighbor who yells at you all the time because you get on their lawn, (laughs) even your coworker that really gets under your skin, even your family member who really, really gets under your skin, even them. That's how you're supposed to act. How are we to react? The old way was eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It was the law of retaliation, right? They get you, you get them. So... Your spouse jabs at you, you jab back. If you see that your coworker cares more about self preservation than being a team player with you and is selfish, you declare war. You do the same. If your kids spurn your affection, you withhold yours. Someone takes to the internet and smears you on Twitter or something you love, you whip out your phone and you do the same. Someone hurts you, you hurt them. But how does Jesus say we're to react in verse twenty-nine? To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, give him your tunic. That's like saying, I don't know, somebody takes your your beanie, give him your gloves also. Translate it to Madison. I don't know. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. React in love. It's really interesting here. It talks about being struck on the cheek. And some of the translations have slap. I always used to laugh thinking like everybody in like Jesus' day are like slapping each other on the cheek. Like, what is this about? Uh, But scholars think this is talking about a public shaming moment. So it was a backhand to the face. And that was not just physical. That was a sign in that culture of deep, deep public shame. We don't backhand people in our culture publicly, okay? Guess what we do, though? We do publicly shame people. My goodness, we're good at it. Usually it takes the form of social media and something of a shame storm, but we do the same thing. Jesus is saying, if you're the recipient of that, don't respond in kind. Don't retaliate back. Turn the other cheek. If somebody assaults you on Twitter, give them your Facebook also. Uh, don't take that out of context. That's probably uh, n- not what he's saying. Jesus is saying in general, don't react in kind. You, you respond with complete forgiveness. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful, because he's kind to everybody. Ungrateful, evil, doesn't matter. So this is the heart of of this teaching. Uh, The reactions and the actions that Jesus is talking about are unconditional. They don't hinge on what other people do in your life. They're unconditional, and they're impartial. They're to everybody. What if one person in your life acted like this? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if a group of people acted like this, and lived like this, that literally would transform the world, right? Amen? Amen. That would be crazy. Other people have thought about these things, so Roman philosophers say similar things, Confucius has some similar ideas, Uh, there are other Jewish kind of Hellenistic philosophers that had similar ideas before Jesus, but nobody is as far-reaching, as unconditional, or as impartial, as completely selfless, as what Jesus is talking about here. This is utterly revolutionary and a new cycle. It's a new way of life. But here's the catch, and this should be a catch as you're reading this. Otherwise, you're not realizing how insane the kind of things Jesus is saying. How in the world is it possible to do this? Even more, how is it just? Why would this make sense? You're to just give all your stuff away and love people who are cursing you and hating you? Every single one of us is probably drawn to the idea of living a life dictated by love. Uh, You know those lawn signs? We love lawn signs in Madison. I bet if we got some of this and put them on lawn signs, we would sell a lot, you know? Love your enemies or whatever. Unless you really are bold enough to say you love vengeance and hatred in public, you probably are drawn to this. This is awesome. Who doesn't want to see broken cycles in our family end? Who doesn't want to see our current civil public discourse that's so full of vitriol end? Who wants to see a presidential debate that's like pleasant? (laughs) But without roots, this teaching from Jesus is just a meme. If you don't know what a meme is, it's an internet thing. Ask a millennial in our church, they'll tell you about it. It's just a nice religious idea. It's a cut flower. It will die. Because at the end of the day, no matter how hard we try to think, is Newton's third law? right? Not Newman's. I've watched a lot of Seinfeld lately. It could be Seinfeld making its way into my physics, okay? Newton's third law will still rule at the end of the day. I promise every action has an equal equal and opposite reaction. If Jesus' teaching isn't drawing energy and nourishment and momentum from something or someone, it is a cut flower. It'll be pretty for a day, and it'll die on Monday morning. But this is what makes Jesus' teaching on this so revolutionary and so different than anything else, any other religion or sage or philosopher, is because for Jesus, this teaching has roots, and they sink deep into real black earth rich soil. Jesus' ethics are rooted in three things. So now we're on the second point this is the roots of the teaching. And there are three parts of the roots, okay? First, they're rooted in what God has done. Actually, in real time and space, in history. Jesus summarizes this teaching on love later in the book of, the, of John, and here's what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Well, that's not new. The Old Testament talked about loving one another. Here's what's new. You, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So this is an imitation It doesn't come out of thin air. Jesus himself roots this in how God has already loved us. And how has God already loved us? This is from Romans 5, okay? This is talking about how Jesus has loved us. For while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. Paul's allowing that. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, for us. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? When did God love you? He loved you when you were a sinner. He loved you when you were an enemy. He loved you before you knew he was loving you. He loved you first. Completely, Not when you're at your best, when you're at your worst. Jesus loved you in the times in your life that no one else knows about that you're ashamed of. He loves you there. It's full, it's complete, and it had nothing to do with conditions. Amen? How did God love you? He stepped in front of the barreling, snowballing, steamrolling train of all of our human misery and brokenness. Entirely. He let it smash into him. God's love is not abstract. It's not an idea in the Christian faith. It's a historic fact. It's signed in blood. God shows his love for us in this, that he died. I love how Paul says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. In other other words, This is a really good point. Paul's saying there have been times where people have died for people. So think of a soldier bravely falling on a grenade to protect his other soldiers. Think of a mom sacrificing herself for her children. That is heroic. That's heroic. But Paul's saying this isn't even on the same level because Jesus died for his enemies. (laughs) Who's ever heard of that? I feel like somebody in a war sacrificing himself to save somebody on the other side. Amazing love. We were jamming the old hymn, And Can It Be, as we were setting up the sound this morning. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? People have been singing that for hundreds of years and words like it for thousands. Now let's think about how Jesus reacts to us. Did Jesus live his life according to the ethic of retaliation? Did he jab when he was jabbed? Did he live according to an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth? Heavens no. (laughs) Right? What did he do? He forgave. He showed unconditional, impartial mercy. Something that really struck me this week, Jesus used that analogy of being struck on the cheek. Did you know that before Jesus was crucified, he was standing before the leaders and he had done nothing wrong? Nothing. And in front of everybody, one of the leaders comes up to him and back him front of everybody else guess what Jesus did suffering public humiliation before about to go to the worst pain in the world he didn't retaliate that's how Jesus reacts even on the cross he prays for the forgiveness of those who are killing him he says father forgive them they know not what they do and Jesus forgives us too he forgives you he forgives me which is emotionally harder for me to comprehend I mean, think about your track record this past year. Have you glorified Jesus and given back to him everything he's given to you in your body, in your mind, in your life, with your money? (laughs) Probably not. What about the last week? I even think about the last day for me. How does Jesus react to that? Complete and utter love and forgiveness. Impartial, unconditional love and compassion. That's good news. Amen? You can talk back to me. It's all right. I know we're in a gym. Um, we're singing a new song this week that Mercy's is going to sing, and one of the lines is talking about Jesus' mercy. He says that he doesn't count our sins, but he throws them into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That is Jesus' reaction to us. There is no, no bottom and no shore to God's forgiveness. What a beautiful image. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, be merciful, even as your father is merciful, it's not a meme. It's not a lawn sign. It's rooted in what God actually did. Remember, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And we are able to love like him when, through faith, we open up ourselves to Jesus. We open up ourselves to his love, and it penetrates, and it goes inside of us, and it changes us. Your heart, uh, the old Hebrew wisdom literature talks about as your gut. The place of your affections and your person is the engine of your mouth and your hands. It is the soil which the things you say and the things you do flourish and grow out of. This is a teaching of Jesus. And it begins there. And that's how God has decided to change the world in a new cycle. By starting a new one, Jesus kicks over a new domino. He starts a new day in his resurrection. And then he transformed you from the inside out. So he starts the cycle inside, and it bubbles up, and it overflows. That is a rooted flower. When in your heart of hearts, you are abiding in the love and sacrifice and mercy of God. That can transform you. That can transform the world. That can reverse your family tree. I've watched it happen. The second thing it's rooted in is what God will do. So it's rooted in what God has done, it's also rooted in what God will do. Jesus says in verse 35, I don't know if you noticed this, that if we act and react like Christ, our reward will be great. Put shortly, we can love unconditionally and not feel the need to vindicate or avenge ourselves for the wrongs done to us, because God will judge and reward when he comes back. Did you notice this in our Romans teaching? Paul is riffing off of the teaching of Christ, and he says, don't pay back your enemies, Don't hate those who hate you. Leave it to God. That's why this isn't completely unjust or unfair. Jesus isn't condoning injustice at all. We talked about this a little bit last week. He's just saying, that's not your job. Leave it to God who is wise and compassionate and good. So you don't have to advertise the good things you do. God will be the one who gives you a reward. You don't need to take the vengeance yourself for the bad things that people have done to you. Jesus takes it fully on the cross and he will bring justice, so it frees you up. So it's rooted in what God has done. It's rooted in what he will do. And finally, this teaching is rooted in a teacher. Look how Jesus finishes this teaching in verse 39. Go there with me. I want you to to see this. I'm going to read verses 39 and 40. He says, this is after he does all this, He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Put simply, you guys know this. I don't need to tell you this, but you're going to act like, you're going to imitate whoever you're following, whoever is your teacher in your life, whoever you're imitating. Um, Marissa and I are first year homeowners. And so I don't know what to do with a house. I don't know how to take care of a house. I don't know how to live on my street or in Madison for that much, for that, whatever. So I take my cues from all the competent homeowners on my street, literally, that's how I've, we've done things so far this year is I just look, oh my gosh, the recycling's out, I take my recycling out. Somebody's like doing a certain thing to their, you know, it snows to the, the sidewalk, I follow suit. I just literally do what other people are doing. Somebody was unscrewing their hose before the winter came and I was like, start unscrewing mine. And so yesterday, we, uh, everybody on my street had these super long shovels and we're doing something in their house and Marissa and I are like looking through the blinds like, what are they doing? Like, I don't know. Like, should we do that too? Like, probably. Like, so I literally like borrowed one from a neighbor of mine and I'm just kind of like, you know, and come to find out an ice wall builds in your gutter and it like gets under your shingles and into your house or something. I didn't know that. That sounds awful. So I'm just taking my cues from other people who know what they're doing. Homeownership is a big deal. How much more significant is the way that you live life in relationship to other people? Right? Who are you taking your cues from? Who are you imitating? How How would you even know where to begin? Jesus is saying, if a blind man follows a blind man, they'll fall into a pit. You will be like your teacher. Jesus is our teacher. He is the one we take our cues from. So it's rooted in what he did. It's rooted in what he will do. But Jesus asks you to follow him in everyday life. And so on the daily, you're walking with him and you're taking your cues from Christ. When you have an argument at your workplace or when something happens in your marriage or in your family or with your brothers or sisters, you're taking cues. You're imitating him. And Jesus says, when you're fully trained, you'll be like your master you'll act like him on the spot. So it's not just an idea, right? This isn't just a meme. It's not a lawn sign. It's rooted in history. It's rooted in eternity. And it's rooted in your daily life as you walk with Christ. If it is not drawing that nourishment and energy from Jesus, trust me, this is impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. And all of this, that's why the application this morning is not Love your enemies. Go and do this. Try it. Ah! None of us could do that. The application is no. Open up your heart. Open up the engine, the soil of your heart and your hands and your mouth to let the love of Jesus penetrate it. Let a living well, waters start to overflow. That's the application. We're also going to sing a song this morning. It's one of Marissa and I's favorite hymns. And the chorus is, the love of Christ passes knowledge The love of Christ eases fear. The love of Christ strikes a man's heart and pierces him like a spear. I love that. That's the the application for us this morning is to live in the wake of the cross and the resurrection. Okay, so we've talked about the heart of this teaching. We've talked about the roots of the teaching. Finally, very briefly, the charge of this teaching. Again, look at your gospel text with me this morning. Verses 37 and 38. This is the kicker for Jesus, I think. Everybody there? Jesus says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying there are two cycles in this world, which we've already talked about. There are two standards that you can personally live by. One is the way of the world. It's the ethic of retaliation. It's conditional. It's partial. The other is the way of Christ, which I don't need to repeat because we just talked a lot about it. And Jesus is saying, here's the kicker. You decide. He's not going to force you into anything. Jesus is saying, which cycle do you want to participate in He's not going to force you, but he says, the standard you use towards others is what will be used back to you. And I don't think I need to stress how terrifying it would be to have our standards used back towards us at the end of all things. Jesus is saying, open yourself up to the gospel. Become a participant in, through encountering Jesus and putting your faith in him. Become a participant in the life of Christ in the kingdom of God. Become a perpetuator of it. Let your, your family tree, let your effects be dictated by the love of Christ. Let a new cycle start and flow. Judge not, condemn not, forgive and give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap.